Hi, I'm Adrian Mabin from the podcast I'm Also, where I talk to people with multiple careers, pursuits, and interests. My guest for this episode is Dawn Pickin. Dawn is a freelance writer and columnist with NZME, runs her own business, plus is a tutor at Toyohomai in Tauranga. Hello, Dawn. Hi, Adrian. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I guess we'll set the scene that we're still on lockdown, or we're in lockdown level three now in New Zealand. Um, That's right, yeah. Um, yesterday was, um, what was it? Fast food day, I guess, for a lot of the area. But Yeah, it was. And embarrassingly, I was one of those sad saps who joined the queue <laughs> for fast food, even though I hardly ever eat it in real life. It just felt like taking the teenagers on an adventure to sit in the queue at, at Macca's for you know, some awful food and they didn't get the order right and you wait too long and you kind of kick yourself afterwards. But there you have it. That's that's level three. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try it today. I thought the rush would be tomorrow, so I'm going to try today. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into your, into your I guess we'll tell you, I guess you're a writer is, 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 your, big, uh, is your big thing. What's, uh, what's your favorite kind of writing? Because you do a lot of different kinds, don't you? Yeah, I do do a lot of different kinds of writing and that has grown out of being a journalist for um, decades now. I've lost track of, of how many years, but when you're a journalist, you have to be a jack of all trades. So I've done a bit of everything. I've written about business and medicine and natural disasters and crime and school boards and did a lot of consumer reporting. And so I have done a little bit of everything, but what I've really enjoyed lately is personal essay. And that's part of what I do in my columns for NZME. I have a mix of personal essay and topical items, things that are in the news. And I really try to mix that up because I don't want to be writing about what everyone else is writing. I mean, there's only so much you can write about COVID-19 from a columnist perspective, <laughs> although, you know, we certainly take a crack at it. Um, but I find the things that people reach out to me about, the things that are really relatable are those slices of family life. What is it like raising kids now in New Zealand, in, in this world, in this crazy pandemic world, and what kind of struggles are we going through that are universal. So I'm really enjoying that. It's part writing exercise, part therapy. Um, and I really enjoy writing, reading what others write as well in terms of, of personal essay columnists like Steve Bronius from the New Zealand Herald. I mean, he wrote a, a piece called The Man Who Ate Lincoln Road. And so here's somebody who can turn something like eating fast food, which is really mundane, into a hilarious piece of work. And so I, I really enjoy those kinds of things. Emily writes, writes for the spinoff, and she writes about parenting as well. Really enjoy her writing. And I love memoir. I'm a real student of memoir. Mary Carr and Anne Lamott are some of my favorites. And so I devour lots of nonfiction, <laughs> lots of memoir. So yeah, I'd say... I was kind of going through all your articles and I was going to say, oh, she's uh, she's really knocking them out there. Um, do you have a special routine or a, or a place to write to be so um, consistent with your writing? 
keeping things? Oh boy. Well, <laughs> consistent is, is funny. Um, consistency comes because of the column. So I have a weekly column for NZME and I know I have a deadline and I always meet my deadline. And so that's something that gets done. I put that in the calendar. It doesn't always happen at the same time. What I really struggle with is being consistent with personal writing. I've had this passion project that I've been chipping away at for years now, and it's a memoir. And my friends have given up asking me when it's ever going to be published, um, just because I, I keep stopping and starting. And that's partly because anytime I've got paid work, whether it's the column or writing for businesses or giving a workshop or something like that, the paid work always comes first and my personal work just gets shoved to the side. So I have taken advantage of lockdown this time around to get up at 5.30 or 5.45 in the morning before anybody else is up and I have breakfast and I sit at my computer, which is in the lounge because I've got a small house. I don't have a separate study. I thought about putting the computer in the garage, decided I didn't want to be that far from everything and, and cooped up. So I am just wide open in the lounge. It's not ideal, but that just means that sometimes I need to get up early in the morning to do the writing. So this time in lockdown, I found it really helpful to be the only person awake in the house, to give myself, I give myself two hours in the morning for my writing. This is stuff that I'm not getting paid for, that I'll probably never see a cent from, and that's okay. It is, it is the passion project and something that I really feel is important to give to my kids. And if other people want to read it, that's great. Um, but lockdown in, in this way has been a bit of a gift because I'm not having a commute and things are a bit slow at the moment. So I've given myself the luxury of working on a project that's mine. Yeah. I find that people, it's sort of a mix of time to do your own things plus stressing out about lockdown. That's what I seem to find. Mm. Are you aiming to publish a book then? Your own book? Or? Yes, I am. I am. I've got, I've got a manuscript that's about 90,000 or a hundred thousand words. So it is mostly done. It probably needs to go to a proofreader for last bits and pieces. I've got some folks that I want to read it before it goes out. And then I will begin the sticky business of self-publishing. Um, part of why this has taken so long is that I tried for years to find an agent, tried to find a publisher, and just didn't get any traction with that. It's a very crowded field, and especially for memoir, unless you are a recognized figure, unless you're Dan Carter, <laughs> Richie McCarr, or somebody along those lines, it's really difficult to find a publisher who's going to take you on. And so if you want something like that done, most people will end up having to do it themselves. And so I've come to the point where after years of you know, getting nibbles from agents and having them say, yes, I think this is good, but you know, maybe we, we've got too much of this right now or whatever the reason was, um, I realized that it's just something I need to dig in and do myself. Yeah. Is it getting even more difficult than what say, was, say, 10 years ago with sort of, you know, digital, everything's digital now? Is it getting tougher to be, like find that publisher or is it just always tough? Yeah, I, I think it's always tough. You know, it's funny because it's gotten harder because the field is so crowded and it's also gotten easier because we've got all of these tools at our disposal to publish ourselves 
And I've talked to a lot of authors who have traditional publishing houses, they've gone through small publishing houses, and they've self-published. And the consensus seems to be that if, if you don't have a publisher, can't find a publisher, just go ahead and get it done. Do it yourself, because there's a lot of hybrids out there. There are a lot of people who will tell you that they will publish your work, but they'll take a cut of it. And that's called vanity publishing. So, so yes, you can say I've got a publisher. However, I paid them thousands of dollars to maybe edit a manuscript and send something out for cover art. So in a lot of cases, you're better off doing it yourself so that somebody else isn't taking a cut of whatever minuscule royalties you might see. And, and they are very small from what I understand from most people. Um, but, so instead of handing that to somebody else, you have the control, you decide how you're going to market it. Because I've talked with authors, even those who have publishers who've been really disappointed about the way their work has been marketed or in some cases not marketed. Yeah, the whole marketing is a big part, isn't it? Which it's not just writing the book oh, yeah. now, it's not just writing the book, is it? You've got a, it's all the marketing side of things. Social it's media, huge. social media. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Social media, people want you to have a platform and how many Instagram followers do you have and all of that. And it all takes time. I mean, it's doable, but you have to be willing to sit there and do all the tips and tricks to gain followers, to follow other bloggers and authors and influencers and all of that. And so you have to be committed to the marketing if you want to gain any kind of traction in that space. And I think ultimately you have to decide why am I publishing this piece of work? Am I doing it because I think it's going to be the next global blockbuster? In my case, the answer is no, I do not. I, I'm not under that illusion. Or am I doing it because I want to leave a legacy for my friends and family and for other people who have experienced similar things to what I've gone through? And, and my answer is the second one. I, I know who my audience is. And it's a much, much smaller universe than that global blockbuster audience. And so that has given me some clarity about what I need to do. Mm, yeah, it's not easy. I, I remember I went to, I had a, to a book and they, the first thing I said was, how many followers have you got on social media? And I was like, yeah, not that many. And I was like, oh, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's it's really disheartening because it has nothing to do with the quality of your work. It has nothing to do with how good of a writer you are or how relatable you are to your readers. Uh, the whole social media thing is an entirely new animal that writers are, are having to grapple with. Yeah. Um, you do a lot of business writing as well. Um, is there any sort of like the mistakes? Let's get on to the mistakes people make. Um, oh, mistakes. <laughs> Are you one of those, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe they made that mistake? Is there one that really sets you off, like a grammar or spelling mistake? Full disclosure, oh. full disclosure, I'm terrible at spelling, so um, it's fine. But what's, <laughs> what's your pet hate? Oh, where do I begin? There are so many. Just a few? With business writing, yeah, yeah. With business writing, I'd say one of the biggest ones is jargon. Yeah. I don't like reading jargon. I mean, I teach business classes uh, for Toyohamai. And I, I understand the jargon, but I still don't want to read an article that's full of it. I want something that is written in plain English. And so do your clients. So do your customers. They don't want all the jargon. So that's one of the biggest things that I see. 
And I think for a lot of business owners, you might be a decent writer, but you need to ask yourself, is this giving me the biggest bang for my buck? Is this where I want to be spending my time in the writing space, working on articles, blog posts, reworking, revising? Because for me, most of writing is revision. Getting that thing out of my head and onto the page, that doesn't take all that long. It's the going back over and over again to see what have I missed? How many words can I take out because it's too wordy, it's redundant? How can I make my verbs stronger? All of that. And so I think business owners need to ask themselves, is that where they need to be putting their time or are they better off hiring somebody like me? I know this is self-serving, but anybody, not necessarily me, another writer, are they better off hiring a writer to write the business stories for them. And I think that too many people go at it on their own. And these are where I see these mistakes, rather than hiring somebody who already knows the tips and tricks and can write a relatable story that's going to appeal to their clients and their potential customers. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes I find sometimes the words don't get appreciated enough. Like we're doing a, like, a, um, like a website that's another thing. Someone does the design and they sort of plonk in the words they haven't really thought about the words of the website. They just sort of chucked in there. And it's like they want the design to look great, but uh, the words, anyone, you know, hasn't, they haven't taken the time on the words before. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's not enough just to put a bunch of keywords out there and say, well, people will find me. No, these are actual humans who want to read a story about your business. They want to read about other people. They don't necessarily want to see all the features and benefits. I mean, yes, you can put that on a spec sheet somewhere on the website, but on the homepage or on those main pages, if you're dry, trying to draw people in, you need to be telling stories about how your service or product has helped other people because that's what we relate to. We relate to other humans, not to a set of features and benefits. So that's that's another of my pet peeves. Another is cliches. Oh, I cannot stand cliches and they're everywhere. And I know why, because that's what pops into our heads and we just write down the first thing that we think of. And it's, you know, real estate writing is, just littered with cliche. You can pick up any any real estate magazine and say, yep, I've seen this a million times. Um, at its best, people like to say everything is at its best. That drives me crazy, um, especially if they use an apostrophe oh. writing it is instead of it's. So yeah, what's what's yeah, what's your number something. one just grammar, grammar, grammar thing that sets you off? Is it an apostrophe? Oh, they're they're there are too, just too many of them. People write should of instead of should have. I just don't know why. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that's another one. Um, are they teaching that in? Yeah. Don't they? Isn't aren't teaching that in instruction schools? Are they now the whole grammar spelling? No. Well, I think they are. It's funny because my daughter is in year thirteen, and English is just about the only subject I can help her with. <laughs> so it's the only thing I feel very, very unproficient at, at even looking at anything else. Um, but she does show me the writing that she's doing in English and her teacher in particular is doing an excellent job at helping the students to show, not tell, which is one of the biggest tips that any writer will ever get is show, don't tell. And 
it's something that we all strive for. I mean, I have to keep learning and relearning that, that I need to show what somebody is thinking, feeling, doing rather than tell. It's not enough to say somebody was excited or scared or sad. You know, show us the, that their fingers are trembling or paint a word picture of the tears rolling down their cheeks. It's all about show, don't tell. So that's something that I think my, my daughter is learning in school and her, her English teacher, the feedback that she gives her is phenomenal. It's absolutely amazing. And if the woman were engaged in marking scores, dozens of papers, I would ask her to be my editor yeah. because I just think she's brilliant. So yes, there are there are gems out there. There are lots of English teachers trying to train students in grammar and, and using it the correct way. But then we live on our phones and certainly kids live on their phones and they get into this text speak and lazy writing. And so we've got to all pull ourselves up and say, hang on, this isn't just a quick Instagram post or it's not Snapchat or, or whatever it is. This is something that I need to put some thought into. Mm. Not just smiley face, smiley face. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Cut the, cut the emojis for sure. That's something that does not belong in business writing. And I'm sure that everybody knows that. But just to, <laughs> just to make the point. Yeah, we, we don't need those. Mm. We need to use actual words. Yeah. I want to move on to one of your previous careers as a TV anchor. Um, what was that like? How's that all work, being sort of talking to the screen? Uh, it was it's a really interesting career and it can also be really repetitive, which sounds paradoxical, but it's true because you meet new people all the time. But on the other hand, you also do the same kinds of stories. Yeah. So you've got the natural disasters and the crimes and the holiday stories are some of the worst because you're doing these stories every single year. How many times can you do a Christmas story? How many times can you do the Anzac Day story? So that gets a bit repetitive. And you talk about pet peeves every time around the holidays when I read a sentence that starts with tis the season. <laughs> I want a gag. It's, it's horrible. I just feel like saying, please stop. Please. We've seen this before. And I understand the inclination. I've done that. Certainly I've, I've written lots of stories in my TV reporting career around the holidays that started with Tis the season. And I, I vowed to not do that again, but yeah. So, so it's interesting. It's not glamorous like people think it is, I suppose, unless you're working for a big national TV station, especially in the States and maybe in New Zealand as well, when you're working in Auckland, you are doing a lot of the grunt work. You're out in the field, maybe helping your photographer pull cables and set up equipment. You are in the studio. I hosted a breakfast show. I presented a morning show for five years and I did my own makeup. So it's not like the TV shows where you see the anchor sits in the chair and somebody is making sure they're perfectly quaffed and applying all this makeup, you know, spraying on foundation onto their face. No, I, I went in at 
three thirty or four o'clock in the morning and and spackled my own face and tried to make it look like I was awake when we went on air. We had started at at four thirty in the morning, so I was trying to look awake at that hour, which is really difficult. <laughs> so it's like you're propping your eyelids up with toothpicks to to try and look bright eyed, and I would just keep spackling more makeup during commercial breaks to try and, and make myself look awake. And at some point the circadian rhythms kick in and probably about 5.30 or 6, you think, okay, now I actually feel more awake and the caffeine helps too. <laughs> but you know, the best thing, and this is true for any career, but the best thing about working in television were the people I worked with. I worked with some amazing photographers and reporters and producers. And one of my favorites, and it's funny because people at my old TV station still talk about him and he's still there and he's a cameraman for the morning show and he was also a professional stand-up comedian and he would keep us in stitches we would go to commercial breaks and we would be laughing almost crying and then we'd have to compose ourselves and talk about disaster and war and and all of these horrible things but I think that's part of what allowed me to get up at oh my wake time was like 2 30 in the morning part of what allowed me to get up so early was knowing that I was working with people like that, that I would go into the studio and Charlie would be behind the camera making me laugh. Does it get a bit, yeah, it must be tough trying to look, like, look great every morning to, to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it was maybe easier when I was younger, but I don't know. I mean, I haven't done it for about 10 years, so I'm not sure. We all have our tricks though. There, there's lots of tricks and tips you can use. I mean, we had photo shoots where we would have, uh, this was the rare occasion where somebody would come in who was a makeup artist and would show us things that we can do. And I still use some of those tips. The things like, here's the, here's the right concealer to make you not look like, yeah, a defeated boxer, which I did and do every morning. Um, I've got like these hereditary dark circles. And so concealer is the first thing that goes on the eyes. So there's that. And there's the way you maybe groom your eyebrows and, and things that I guess normal people don't think a lot about. But when you're on screen, you do pay attention to those things. That's one thing that I don't miss about the business is it is very superficial. And that can be okay when you are a young person starting out and you've got kind of these, I don't know, I suppose some, some looks to fall back on. Um, of course, that's fleeting, um, but it also means that you're scrutinized for the way you look, for the way you put your makeup on, your hair, the way you dress. And I remember when I was first in TV news in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I had gotten hired at the station. I'd been there for a couple of weeks and my news director caught up with me outside and he looked at me and said, you know, some of us were talking and here I was hoping to hear something like, we think you did a really great job with that school board report the other night or something like that. And instead he looked at me and he said, we think your hair's a little too long. And I thought, oh, for gosh sakes, really? This is, this is it? This is the thing that's bugging you? And yeah, so it is a superficial medium because people see you and oftentimes make comments about what you're wearing, how you look. And certainly we've seen that with Hillary Berry, yes. who is so fantastic and funny. And it's like, would you please give it a rest? Are you seriously going to, with all that's going on in the world, 
who takes the time out to say, I don't like seeing your shoulders or you've got cleavage. So what? Move on. <laughs> We're all very judgy. Yeah. On, on the people yeah. on the screen. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. What made you want to start your own business? I wanted to have some more control over the kind of writing that I did and be able to branch out and do some different projects. So I knew that there was a business market to be tapped and I just wanted to have more control. I guess that's the heart of a lot of um, business owners decisions is wanting to be the person at the helm who is reaching out and making the contacts and deciding which projects to pursue. and writing on your own time that's that's a big thing as well especially with two kids i i'm on my own so i'm the one who's got to do the time juggle and writing for for clients rather than going into an office from eight to five nine to five whatever it is allows me to do that around the kids schedule which is hugely helpful i mean i can have dinner with them and then go to the computer and get some more work done. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Do you have any uh, time management tips? Ooh, time management. That's a good one. Um, you might want to ask somebody else for that. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the, the getting up in the morning has been really helpful for me, especially during this lockdown, just having those unobstructed hours, I'd say one tip for me when I do that writing, that two hour block of writing is I don't do other things. So normally when I'm doing other work, I might be checking the news. I might be taking a peek at Facebook or something stupid that's just a time waster. But when I am doing that concentrated writing, especially in the morning, I'm not doing any of that. I have, I have clicked off, clicked away, my Gmail, Facebook, anything else, I've banished it from the screen so that I can just focus on the writing that needs to get done. So I do that for my personal writing and also for business writing when I'm on deadline. I That's something that has been really helpful is just to not be checking other things to have that concentrated period of time. And there's also, like I've used apps as well. I've used tools to make sure that I don't spend too much time on social media. Like there's a Facebook blocker and you can set the time for it's default is 10 minutes, but I think I clicked 15 minutes. And it's funny because it says, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you want to do that? Do you really want those extra five minutes? So things, sometimes you just have to trick yourself into not being distracted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another feeling. Um, and maybe for like the future for writing, do you think there's, I mean, the whole AI thing is starting to come into writing, isn't it? And uh, you think there's plenty Yeah. Of, what's the future for that, a writer? It's a little scary when you think about AI. And honestly, I don't know that much about it, but I did check out some sites to see what I might get if I were somebody who wanted some copy for, say, a website. And so I looked at one and just as an experiment, clicked on Italian restaurant to see what kind of copy it would come up with. And 
it says we serve different types of food such as pizza, pasta, meat and fish dishes and our specialties are pasta dishes, pasta and risotto. In addition, we have a wide range of Italian wines and our good coffee is always freshly brewed. We pride ourselves on our fresh and good quality ingredients and we do not use any harmful substances in our cooking. So it's not horrible, mm. but it's generic. Yeah. And I think that's what you get with a lot of AI is generic copy that you can cut and paste anywhere in the world. And I think people want better than that. Mm. I think your, your clients and your customers certainly deserve more than that. So yes, AI, I'm sure will make a dent, but we all still want to interact with humans, whether it's over a Zoom call or better yet in person. And we wanna know who we're dealing with. Even to pick up the phone and talk to somebody is huge to think that they understand our needs and wants. And you know, I'm not convinced from looking at the snippet that I've seen that AI understands the needs and wants of in this particular context. So I don't think that writers will be replaced. I think there will always be a place for good writing, for business writing, and for local news as well. We need people who are going to go and sit in the council chambers and to go to the scene of an accident. And that's something that I'm not sure how you figure out a way for AI to do that. Mm. Yes. Going to be a joke about council stories in Tauranga, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll skip that. I'll move on to my plug a product section where you get to promote something you're interested in or, or currently doing. You might want to promote your business or something else in the community or anything you want to shout out to. Sure, I will start with a community event and then go on to the business. Yeah. So, the community event is a live storytelling event called Tell Me Toronga or Kororohiamai. And the idea is that we have eight storytellers who will get up and tell a true story for about seven minutes each, hopefully with no notes. We've told them no notes. Um, and it's about a time in their life where something shifted for them. They shifted perspective or something in their life changed. And the theme for the night is new beginnings. So we're hoping to elevate the craft of storytelling to break people away from their devices and have them interacting with live storytellers. And so I'm hopeful that our alert level goes down enough. It's at Totara Street on the 30th of September in the evening, and we need to be at level one to do that. So I am holding my breath that we get to level one before September 30th. If not, we will have to figure something yeah. out. But that's the plan for now is that it's September 30th and you can find Tell Me Toranga by doing a Facebook search and tickets are available. So we will see what happens with those levels. As for the business stuff, I have a website that is dawnpicken.com. That's P-I-C-K-E-N with no S. A lot of people put the S on there, dawnpicken.com. I've got some examples of work and I also give workshops to businesses and groups 
I do storytelling workshops. I recently, right before lockdown, I gave a memoir workshop to a writer's group in Kaurau. And that was really fun. So I enjoy that. So if you need some business writing done or you want me to come in and run a workshop, I'm happy to do that. Sounds great. And I guess everyone, a lot of people got their fingers crossed with events coming up like you have that it's all going to be down to level one. That's right. I so feel for people who are in the events business. Yeah. This is a small sliver of their lives. And to have everything hanging on these levels is really hard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I think we'll uh, sum up there. Dawn, thank you for your time. Very interesting. Cool. Thanks, Adrian. Appreciate it.